Hello and welcome to the Grand Cinema Hotel, a podcast hosted by two friends who love cinema. I'm Oliver and I'm joined by my co-host Gus. Tonight you'll be staying in Room 158, The Whale, the newest film directed by Darren Aronofsky. So go ahead, get comfortable and throw on that Do Not Disturb sign as we visit his latest controversial film with The Whale. Do you forget the feeling? People are incapable of not caring. listeners and guests thank you for checking back in to the grand cinema hotel for the first episode of 2023 i'm joined by alvaro what's up guys and we are here to talk about a controversial movie from a controversial director from a former beloved star that's right we're talking about 2022's film the whale by darren aronofsky uh (laughs) there's a Lots of discourse going around yeah. this movie. Um, Alvaro, you saw this, what, like a month or so ago already? You've seen think, this a while ago now, right? Yeah, it was um, when it first, I think in the beginning of the month, last month now, December. Um, I went to go watch this movie just because I had heard about how great Brendan Fraser's um, performance, performance was in this. Yeah, and um, there was no disappointment in that. Um I did walk out enjoying this movie more than I thought I would, actually. But I definitely was one of those walking out that um, I had my issues with. And um, it kind of just made me look more into where, you know, the source material was from. And then finding out that it had it was tied into a um, play, right? Yes, it's a play. And, um, yeah, so um, this movie, I think, is just a really good performance from everybody who's in the cast. And... Um, you know, then the discourse came after once um, this film was able to, you know, get, have a wider release. Um, it's, it's definitely been interesting to just see the direction of a lot of people's um, comment on why they think it's not very well made. But I think that's uh, Darren Aronofsky's signature. I do know people have seen to have issues with Mother a lot. <laughs> yeah. Signature making not well made films. <laughs> 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 and uh, like Rec Room for a Dream, but then at the same time, um, there's people who really like those movies too. So um, it, it's it, it's he lives in an interesting, um, in an interesting ground. I would say he, he's not really for me. I would I would consider myself not a fan of Darren Aronofsky. It's not really that I think he makes awful movies or anything like that. I just don't gel with his preferred style of filmmaking. Um, I know he's had. You know, he's got his staunch supporters who believe, you know, he's he's one of the ones, you know. Yeah. But no, he's actually one of the, the best directors working. Um, that doesn't that doesn't work for me at all. I mean, <laughs> I would I don't think he's an awful director, but I do think that his particular style is just not really for me. Um, I do think that this movie was a step in a different direction and um you know, sometimes when you try something new, it's not always the best that you tried something new. <laughs> I don't necessarily think this is a bad movie, but I also don't think that he's the right director for the project, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get in the movie too much yet, but uh, are you a Darren Aronofsky fan? I know you like Requiem for, for a Dream, right? And don't you like Mother, too? It's like, a, I would say out of the three that I've seen, um, I do, I, want, I really want to watch The Wrestler. But out of the three that I've seen, I 
uh, Requiem for a Dream is one of the ones where it just feels like, um, again, well, as opposed to this one, it, it does feel more like a teenage baby brain. Um, like if I had seen that movie, I don't know, at the age of 17, I would have thought it was, like, groundbreaking, you know? This movie? No, 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 uh, Wrecking for a Dream. Oh, okay. But the whale does see more <laughs> step into a more mature type of, <clears throat> I don't know, approach at um, the source material. And, I, and then um, Mother, I did, like, more than I like Wrecking for a Dream. So I would say from what I've seen, I do like, um, I, I like to compare them. This is interesting, even though I think, I, t- I like one a lot more, but <clears throat> his movies and Yorgos Lanthimos movies seem to s- live in the same sphere for me, where it's very uncomfortable a lot of the times. But I think Yorgos has more of a touch with um, humanizing his characters, and uh, Darren Aronofsky kind of lets you get lost in what I don't know, kind of, kind of um, I would say, overbloating reality. <laughs> no, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just because that's it from the movies that I've seen. That seems to be his. But uh, I will say that this seems to be one more grounded on um, more more recognizable, um, uh, like uh, the roles in our main characters here. And I think like the performances seem a lot more grounded in trying to give an actual outlook or like a more familiar type of kids like Wrecking for a dream it's kind of known for jared leto you know kind of having one of his best performances exactly so i do seem that he seems to draw in arguable to mother maybe it's his wife now but um i i do seem i do think seem to think that he pulls a lot of great performances from his actors um whether, i think that's what he does best yeah whether that's for a good film or not, I think that's up for debate, obviously. Um, my favorite Darren, o- Darren Aronofsky film. You know what's funny is I always want to say it as one word. Like Darrenovsky. Darrenovsky, yeah. <laughs> um, his best it, film huh? to me is uh, Black Swan. Because Natalie yeah. Por- Natalie Portman gives a wonderful performance. Mila Kunis, who, uh, you know, I'm not going to say she's a good actor or a bad actor, but I would say that's probably her best performance outside of playing Jackie Burkhart in that 70s show. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I guess her in American Psycho 2 is not the best performance I've ever seen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hot take. <laughs> yeah. Um, that might be the coldest take in the history of the hotel. Um, so, yeah, I do think that that's his uh, strong suit is getting these, like, wonderful performances out of actors. Although I don't think the films that they are in are great films. Uh, another one of his that I've, I've, I haven't got to finish, but I've seen uh, a bit of it, was uh, The Fountain starring Hugh Jackman. And that might be his most ambitious film, you know. We're talking about different times, uh, literally jumping through time and space, you know. Uh, so... I do think Black Swans is best, and the one that has interested me the most, and I want to go back and finish, is The Fountain, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so heavy with, like, the sci-fi and the time travel and stuff like that. And, you know, that that goes right up my alley of the kinds of things that I would be interested in. Um, uh, but get, kind of getting back to that point about wonderful performances, just some others that I would mention would be, like, Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Fraser, uh, Hong Chow and Sadie Sink in this movie. I think they're the, th- the three-headed dragon. There's two other people in this movie. I don't think their performances are as good. I But it's not that they're bad performances. It's just that the other three are working on an entirely another level um, that these people were never going to get to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as to the, the, the point that you made about uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, another filmmaker that kind of came to mind, um, even though they're not really as similar, would be uh, Gaspar Noe or... Mm-hmm. Um, 
I like that. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the man who made uh, Annette and Holy Motors. Uh, oh, yeah, he has the French Leos name. Leos Carax, I believe, is yeah. his name. Um, and the the thing I had written down was that, like, Darren Aronofsky works in a field that I uh, admire many other directors for doing, but I don't think that he is as successful as Yorgos Lanthimos or Gaspar No or even Leos Carax. Um, and, I mean, if you're a... If you're an even bigger movie fan than us, you might even be like, why the fuck would you even mention these guys in the same breath as Darren Aronofsky? Um, so, yeah, I've, I was kind of conflicted going into this, you know, but I'm also not a snob to the point of I would never give a director a chance once they've wronged me one too many times. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, Mother, for as polarizing as it was, I didn't I, I don't find it uh, an all time great or offensive. Honestly, I just find it as a. Uh, Wow, that was a fucked up movie. That was kind of cool, you yeah. know. I, I I don't really I didn't really take it as deep as everybody else did, you know. Hmm. I took this the correct amount of way, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it was it was just interesting for me to. I wasn't really excited to see this movie. I'm not gonna lie, not because of the subject matter, just because it was Darren Aronofsky. I was like, oh oh great, honestly, is how I felt going into it. But I would say I was more positive on it than I was negative. This was uh, one of the uh, movies. With the the A twenty four checklist, right? I, I guess. guess. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I have to cash it in at the end of the year. I saw all of them. No, but um, which I have not. No, no, yeah, yeah exactly. You'd be like, did you actually miss like three or, or like you know? So did I. But it's um, it it, it did it was like a interesting on its come up here because it it had been teased from the festival, which is around the summer, right? Venice, yeah, the uh, it's either f yeah, it's fall or summer. Yeah, so I mean, just that kind of um, waiting for the film and knowing that it had gotten a good reception, and then kind of now we had kind of talked about. It seems that this that circuit and certain amount of people are really the ones that like it too much. You kind of mentioned to me that it doesn't seem like the critics like this movie too much either. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to get to this point eventually. Um, the, the festival circuit versus the critics mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I'm sure most of the people who do listen to this show are movie nerds like us. So they are probably, this probably isn't new information to them, but in case you don't, uh, most film festivals are made up of bodies of either, uh, directors or filmmakers or actors or people who are involved in the film industry and not necessarily in a critic role. So when a movie's getting praise out of a festival, that doesn't mean that critics liked it. It's that fellow filmmakers or people who are invested in making movies um, or, you know, organizers and things like that. That's a whole different beast, you know? So when a movie like that, like or uh, like this, I'm not surprised that it gets good festival uh, reactions, you know, when mm. there's a bunch of filmmakers and actors and uh, you have, you know, Brendan Fraser's emotional comeback. Um, I'm sure someone like Darren Aronofsky is a, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily like the most coveted director to work with, but he does seem to have an awful lot of respect within the industry. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that a group of filmmakers, uh, you know, patted another filmmaker, an actor on the back for doing something that is maybe they would consider brave, you know, versus uh, the critics who are really just toward this movie, a new asshole. <laughs> Honestly, right? That yeah. This is dehumanizing. This is a uh, an affront to cinema. How dare Ar Darren Aronofsky do this? Uh, this movie is fat phobic. This movie is, uh, you know, every 
this movie shouldn't exist. You know, like why didn't he cast an obese actor? Why did he put a man in a fat suit? Especially now with like the, with uh, how big the movie industry is on diversity uh, to not cast a fat actor was our, or <laughs> my bad, an obese <laughs> actor was already going to be a fucking uh, controversy. Yeah. I mean, you, he's appropriating fat culture. You know? um, <laughs> I think this is a perfect time to bring it up, which is something we don't usually, well, it's not, Usually interesting enough because we did rewatch this movie. Uh, I went with you to watch it for the first time, and there was a lot more people than we thought for a general audience type of where we live at is definitely not what I is not L A. So I don't really expect anybody who wants to watch. We're L A. adjacent. So uh, like I don't think any of these people who really go watch it are like you know the the type of nerds that we are with movies. So I was interested to see that there was more than just us two, but <laughs> the theater reaction to watching this movie was basically I think. Um, kind of what this movie is trying to comment on, but it's just interesting because I've never seen that kind of reception to a movie, you know, where we live to even kind of get, I, I just thought it was going to be us two watching this movie, honestly, and to kind of see a lot of audible laughs to things here. Um, it just, it, it, it's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, kind of like the critic thing that you're go, talking bringing about. Bringing it up again, the Fablemans, you know, we watched that in Hollywood at the Grove or not in Hollywood in LA at the Grove on a, a early access AMC event of a bunch of nerds like us, you know, and there's people behind us. There was people clapping. There's people crying. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. The woman behind us is like, wow, that was one of the best movies I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Like she, the girl behind us loved it. You know, like well, that was a film loving audience. But yeah. like you said, the general f- folk who are just going to the movies on a Friday night. Uh, hey, Brendan Fraser, I remember him. I'll go see him in a movie. Uh, probably doesn't even know who Darren Aronofsky is. You know? Uh, you know, it got fed to the wolves, man. They were laughing at the moments you're not supposed to laugh at, or hey, maybe you are supposed to laugh at it. I'm not exactly sure, which is one of my, uh, not issues with the movie, but I'm kind of like... I don't know how you thought people were going to react to this. And sure, maybe you're holding up a mirror to society and like, yo, the problem is actually you. But <laughs> our general audience did not really seem to. I don't want to say that they didn't enjoy it, but uh, no, there was not exactly empathy, you know, running amok in that movie theater. <laughs> and that's what, that was something that we ended up walking out and it made us question. Be like, well, why is the movie called The Whale? Right. Because we brought up the discussion <laughs> and I had to go and look it up. It did it no favors. And then it. I mean, it was from the, because it's a play, it was from the author straight, like her commenting on it. And it does seem to think, oh, it's a guy. Samuel D. Hunter. Sorry about that. But um, it just seems to be that it's like, it's just a well, because it kind of just leaves it to the person to see where that fits. And it kind of just seems like most people are addressing Brendan Fraser's character as the whale. And he's like, if that's what you take from that, it's kind of just like a self-report or like like a mirror back, which... Okay, GGs, I get, I get it. You know what I mean, but I you do know, think I, I've also seen the other side of this too. And they were like, supposedly this is poking, uh, poking me to look at my prejudices, but I kind of feel like, yo, are you the one who's hella prejudiced when you made this movie? Like, I, so I, it, you know, it's a, uh, it's it's the perfect movie for discourse. Honestly, even though this movie has no right being this talked about, to be honest, I did think that like before the before the drama, before all of the uh, before every. Everybody lost their collective mind. I really did think I was like, no one's going to care about that shit. Like me and you will see it and we'll be like, oh, that's that was, that was pretty cool, I guess. Or, you know, and that it was like, OK, this is probably going to get like an Oscar performance. But the, the common people are this is just going to go under the radar. Like most of the things that we watch or talk about. 
Um, but no, this this was prime for film Twitter and Letterboxd and uh, critics alike to just kind of have a field day with it, man. And like I said, I don't think a movie or a play called The Whale about an obese person is doing itself any favors. But also, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. What else do you call this movie, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's pretty apt. I mean, the the Moby Dick stuff, oh, okay, I, I get it, yeah. You're, uh, it's, it's similar to Moby Dick. Um, I don't really know if... Uh, I just, I just don't know, you know, like it's, it's, it's a fun one to talk about because I don't really have a strong take either way. And most of the time, these movies that we're talking about, no one really cares. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For people to kind of, for other people to care more than I do about this movie has been kind of a nice change of pace, to be honest. Yeah. Um, It has been interesting for me to hear a lot of the like discourse because I do feel like I, I fall under the people who did really like this film but i did think um i never have really seen the topic of obesity kind of addressed in a way in like self-destruction like on purpose and and in kind of in terms of why have you never turned on tlc yeah but i mean like you said looks like you said like those people seem happy though like they're happy or they do these things because of different reasons but i've never seen somebody really be like reflect on the type of person they actually think they are and kind of just act on it the way that this movie does. Or I'm sure the play kind of addresses. So I guess the fact that, um, again, this seems to be a play that I'm sure has had some type of circuit. And um, it's what it's, it's, I'm sure this is rather well known. And just saying, um, it seems to have maybe if it, when it's a play, it's kind of seen in a different light because it's not Darren Aronofsky tackling it the way that he would and again we kind of had a discussion before the podcast like having to turn things into a a film because you know there's different rules different mediums and different expectations but um maybe Aronofsky's um style I guess doesn't seem to really convey those themes as as strongly as some people would hope so um to me kind of the absurdness is kind of where this film works but it has been really interesting to see um the discourse definitely because um it does always seem to be a bigger discussion as to why i did not like this film as to why people who do like this film like oh i just like it i don't really feel like i have to defend it too much or as loudly as i would not liking things or it seems like and it's also a small scope i don't think uh, like you said overall people don't really care about this film so it's too you know, weirdos <laughs> discussing in a room that nobody knows exists, but it is still interesting to always, everybody's opinion is validated. So you do want to hear it. And like I said, I do hear, or I do see the issues with maybe his story or his filmmaking approach or how the film may seem to, I don't know, maybe, yeah, like the fact that the audience could laugh at certain certain um, scenes. I think maybe that could be argued that it's not the director really doing his job too well but i at the end of the day i think because the same author is kind of just saying that this whole movie is a mirror just put up i think that's what it really does but whether that's seen as clever or not yeah i don't know right i mean i don't really have a problem with it but it is kind of a cop-out to just say well like hey however you take this movie is actually just a reflection on you like i i don't play any part in how you feel about this it's it's all on you um i don't that doesn't really feel good to me you know as a as like what i want to hear from a writer uh but also i don't have a problem with it really i this for me is is fun you know like i i do like the idea that this movie is being 
shit on just because it, it it means that it's like something that people are talking about you know yeah that's true like honestly like if we have to have a movie like this where to get people talking about movies more like in the popular you know mainstream where the fact that it's been out for you know like you said it, it, it we've been talking or we've been thinking about it since the fall or the summer and it's the, a new year now and we're still you know, the whale, the whale. I thought this movie would just be like dead on arrival, which financially it has been, but it's, I'm not going to try to use that as any kind of slide or anything. That's just, a, that's just a fact. Yeah. You know, like $6 million is not good. Yeah. I'm sure a 24 was expecting 20 to 25 or something like that. Uh, so if you don't like this movie, well, Hey, you're getting your justice. Cause it fucking bombed. No one has seen it. It's, I guess you win. Right. Yeah. But, um, that doesn't, when does that ever matter? Right? Also, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. I'm just saying, if you're a, if you're one of the naysayers of this film, well, good luck, good for you. You won. This isn't like Avatar, where you, you know, where you get to be like, oh, it flopped, or no, it, it's irrelevant. Well, the billion dollars says it's not. So I just kind of wanted to use that that vice versa, for example. You know, like if you don't like this movie, good for you because it's not doing good, and no one has fucking seen it except for weirdos like us who like movies yeah exactly because it, it does seem like um I'll, I'll be very interested to see if in the award circuit if it does end up because brendan frazier does have a good performance but it would be interesting to know if we see those movies that a lot of the general audience has made fun of like no one watches any of these movies how are these movie winning uh oscars um but i do think this this is probably gonna i think even you said at one point there's certain points that even feel like oscar bait to you so I do think this movie will be brought up again if it ends up like Brendan Fraser gets nominated and then it probably will pick up its audience, which will be more interesting to see um, where the discourse goes from there. You know, the stuff that feels like Oscar bait to me, though, I'm not going to I don't hold it to the fire too much because it is a it is a play originally. And they're so melodramatic, right? Yeah, exactly. And melodrama is not something that I'm opposed to. I fucking love the Fablemans, you know? So it's not like I'm going to pretend that, oh, it's melodramatic equals bad. You know, it's just it doesn't necessarily work for me. And maybe it's because, you know, plays are not my intended format that I enjoy, you know? Like when I do see a play, I usually do think I'm like, because they have to act for the back of the room the same way they do for the front, they have to really project and express themselves and be so melodramatic. It usually doesn't work for me. I do like the more subtle aspects of that you can get out of filmmaking. And that's the stuff that I think works in this movie is like the small subtleties instead of the outlandish, absurd like voyeurism that we get watching this guy go through his like everyday struggles being this size on top of like his self-destruction. So the, the bits that are melodramatic for me are not like a, this is why I don't like this movie. I just think there is bits though, like where I'm watching that. And I'm like, if I wasn't a film nerd, I'd be like, yeah, this totally is just trying to tug on my heartstrings in a way that feels somewhat unearned, I guess. Yeah. It would be more interesting or I would feel more like that way you said if um, it wasn't from a play. It being a play kind of explains that to me because you're right. They kind of always have that melodrama and it's kind of praised in that um, the tragedy aspect of things. It's right? just different, you know, it's uh, plays and movies. They're two separate things, man. And they're not usually meant to mesh with each other. I mean, it's it's usually a thing I do not enjoy that much. Like when a film is formatted like a play, it's it's usually not for me. Yeah. You know, whether it be this movie or even like something like when we talked about, you know, callback to the Quentin Tarantino episode, one of my least favorite Quentin Tarantino movies is The Hateful Eight because of that nature that it, 
of it being formatted like a play. It's I'm not here for plays. I'm here for movies, you know, so whatever. I mean, that's just an opinion, you know. I'm not like, oh, this movie sucked because it was just like a play. But it, in, the you know, one of the golden rules of filmmaking is show, don't tell. And because this movie is isolated and it takes place in one apartment with a small cast of characters, it is essentially all tell and no show. So, you know, that's, that's one of, that's probably one of my, uh, I'd fall more in line with that as an issue than the, oh, wow, it's just melodramatic and beating me over the head with these themes. No, yeah, I, I get that. I'm yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, it's going to sound dumb, but it's like, I love when it's a, I love when we have a movie to talk about that's like, we're both just gushing over how amazing it is, right? I don't really like talking about movies that I dislike because, you know, see Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you go back to that episode, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, I will kind of lose track and go off on. <laughs> It no longer is about the movie itself, you know, uh, but this is for me is, is it, I do like talking about movies where I'm like, I don't know if I actually like it or not. Or like I can see the where I'm like just conflicted, you know, yeah. I think it makes it a more interesting time because I do definitely see both sides of this, uh, both sides of this. And I do see that there's overreaction on both ends, honestly. But that's all right. Uh, it's interesting because that's what it's movies from, you know, kind of just going back and reviewing them. They all seem to have. um general audience scores or that's like a wrong way to say it but general audience um how they feel reactions is the word sorry general audience reactions um seem to be that either they really in, they enjoy this or they think it's one of the worst things they've seen um i do think very few people think it's one of the best best things they've seen though you know have you seen it pop up on a lot of people's top tens no, but I will say that that maybe has to do with the fact that it's probably kind of hard to watch up until the end Two of the ago. list. Yeah, and um, and it came out opposite of Avatar. So I have I have so seen it's the it, ultimate yeah. counter programming too. I have seen it in some a um, like critics or uh, more renowned reviewers or you know people of that nature that I guess in, <laughs> for the sake of just making it simple, kind of do the same stuff we do, but are more known. Um, I have seen it pop up there more for general audiences. Um, general audiences, I have noticed, tend to lose a lot of the, the films that we maybe thought in the beginning of the year we were talking about um, that or they came out too soon before people kind of will forget them. Like I haven't seen X come up in too many top tens either. So um, just to kind of go back to the whale, though, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I only see a lot of discussion from really like movie heads. Honestly, I've yet to really see. I know someone that we know um, that isn't kind of. It's kind of in that range that we talk about. Like so, maybe even less than eight movies a year knew of this movie, and he kind of just explained what it was about and completely lost interest. He's like, <laughs> "Wait, it's not about a whale." Yeah. No, that's Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's Avatar, Pycan, man. <laughs> So um, I, I've yet to really kind of see a general reaction to somebody. Is this going to, you know, really pluck those heartstrings or is this kind of going to be seen as really dumb from the um, more general audience? Who fucking knows, honestly? My guess is that it's just going to die in obscurity. Yeah, exactly. Right? It'll probably have, like Brendan Fraser will get, uh, he, he won't get the, did Adam Sandler get nominated for Uncut Gems? Do you remember? No nomination. But I kind of feel like he's he's kind of following that 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 trend we're seeing now of like every year of an actor um, 
Simon kind Rex. of getting their due. Yeah, the Adam Sandler, Simon Rex, Brendan Fraser's back. So it, I kind of feel like it's 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 enough that he's back and that he was in a relevant movie. You know, like that in itself is a win. So the, the you know going for an Oscar or even an Emmy or something like that feels a little bit. Um, like they'll, it's like, isn't it good enough that we already just recognize you again? Do you really need the award too? We're going to give this to Colin Farrell or, you know, insert here, somebody else. Right. Um, although Brandon Fraser has already started kind of racking up a few awards here and there from certain film bodies, which uh, those independent film bodies that we, that we were kind of talking about earlier that like throw these festivals and stuff, they're the ones who really come yeah. up with like the, the film head choices, you know? Yeah, I mean? like exactly. They're going to yeah. be like, no, everything, everywhere, all at once is best picture. And they're like, we speak for the people. <laughs> You know, yeah, so. like all like the the critics' choice, the Gotham Independent Film Awards, Stuff all those like little places yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly, and like or like Independent Spirit Awards, and like because that's a, like where um, a lot of Adam Sandler's uncut gems praise came from. But no nomination, you know. But I, I do think Tony that Tony Collette, right? I do think that there is some weight there. I I do think, like I said, everybody's opinion is valid. Obviously, some if weight if, there, yeah, pun intended. <laughs> 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 All right, I was, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, because we a lot of talk about uh, boomer opinions a lot, and I was noticing for this movie, uh, a lot of IMDb actually loves this movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because was that on, on pod or not when we talked about that IMDb's for boomers and letterbox? I think we brought boomers. it up on and off, but in case we haven't, um, we've kind of talked about, yeah, IMDb. Yeah, because I think you, you've talked about how um, you logged every film there before. Before I knew about Letterbox, yeah, my my IMDb that was your watch Letterboxd. list is like almost nine hundred deep. Uh, so yeah, I, I've I used to log it before, and uh, I mean now I use Letterbox because I think it's just a better app, honestly. Yeah, because IMDb is it an app or a website? It's an app. Oh, okay. I mean, and it has it does have way more stuff on it than Letterbox does. It's just it's a horrible website. I got to be honest. I like, I would prefer to just use an Excel spreadsheet, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the IMDb reviews for this movie are really like um, they're high. It's a four point five on there. So you're a. I mean, you've told me before that you know. Critic opinions is one thing. Film festival opinions is another thing that you like. And film Twitter is its own. It's yeah. its own beast. Uh, like everything. Dis- you fall into the letterbox camp of that's the that's what the streets are saying, right? So what what are the streets saying? I mean, I don't. What are what are the what are the film letterbox heads saying? What's the rating here? I mean, do you have it in front of you? Oh, for for I on I have seen what it's on letterbox. Letterbox is averaging at three point seven. So okay, most people so, I mean, generally good. Right? No, exactly. Most most people have it listed at a four star or three and a half or higher. I think it's a three. And I mean, I'm trying to not be a raider anymore. I would rather just, uh, you know, if you see a little heart next to the movie, I liked it, you know, and (laughs) if you don't, I'm just letting you know I watched it. Like I listened to the podcast to tell you how much or how little. Yeah. A a movie that's worth talking about would be uh, on the podcast. You know, I don't necessarily want to waste my time thinking about movies that I'm like, "Uh, I I guess, you know. (laughs) And, um, but to see, you know, I, I I definitely always like following on Letterbox. I'm kind of new to it. I know that you are too, so um, it's not like I have like a mass following or follow too many people on there. But I do like to follow sometimes people who have controversies with the film that I still feel like expose me to other films I might like or other genres. I do think it's good to take know how to take in criticism, uh, like we would for this podcast. So I I do think if um a director that I look up to or a director or, you know, any anybody to hear their criticism for somebody who's kind of taking the time to make something. I think it kind of I could learn a lot from that. But um, a lot of people that I have followed 
on this. I've definitely rated it like a half star or like two stars, you know, and um, I do think it comes from kind of an elevated feeling to what we're talking about in terms of thinking that Darren Aronofsky just doesn't have the, just for lack of words, like big brain or sensibility to really... <laughs> tackle this you know what i mean and i think this that starts beyond to become, him honestly you know yeah like, I, I feel that way at least and i i just start to think of it as like um well i i don't know it's it that's that's um i i, I can see that point i think uh but I, I i don't think um because there's such a connectivity here with the author and the director like making this i i don't really see the author putting a green light on something that isn't really reflective on their subject matter as they wanted it. And I don't really see something, somebody lending their work to somebody who they wouldn't want to make it. And I think the fact that Darren Aronofsky, like you said, this is a perfect segue to bring in that Tom Ford was supposed the to what do if. This. Yeah. Yeah. The what if that this should be a segment that we add to the podcast. Yeah. The what if. Yeah. I think it's very, this is very interesting, but the what if is that Tom Ford was supposed to direct this, right? It's Tom Ford. With James Corden attached <laughs> to play Charlie. And, you know, I can't help but feel like we, we really missed, missed the chance to see one of the greatest disasters ever committed to celluloid, man. And I kind of wish that's what we had gotten instead. Instead of having this movie that is honestly just okay. You casted <laughs> it perfectly, too. The worst movie of all time. You casted it perfectly, this uh, made-up movie. You said James Corden, um, The Girlfriend Stranger Things. Oh, if it was Millie Bobby Brown, if it was Millie Bobby Brown, <laughs> Aquafina, and James Corden, <laughs> yeah. directed by, and then I directed think, by Tom. Then Ford. I think I would feel like some of my peers here and be like, "This is one of the worst movies I've seen." You know, I really think that um, that would have taken it away from me. Like, and we've kind of we touched. The, I don't know if we touched upon on the podcast. It was maybe off pod about Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals, which I feel the way you feel about this film. About like it's not a film I think that's worth discussing too much, but it's not one that offended me either. It's like that yeah, was, it didn't like hurt my sensibility. <laughs> yeah, you know? something very like, straightforward. Okay, hey, you know what? Guess what? Sometimes movies are not good. You know, and that's okay. <laughs> sometimes they're just like kind of good. Be like, yeah, know, <laughs> you know, like there's moments. There's, there's moments, moments. You know. Yeah. Uh, is it not worth a maybe? Maybe I just like movies more than the common person. But you know, I'm like, isn't a good performance or three good performances enough to watch a movie that you don't really care about or care for? You know, like I can st I can still see some good in here, and I do think the well, it's probably about time we get into it of what makes this movie so good, and I do think it's the cast. Uh, Without yeah. this cast. Because, you know, like I said, I'm not the biggest Darren Aronofsky fan, so I'm not about to give him any credit for why this movie was great <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But I do think that he pulled three great performances, which is the, uh, like I said earlier, that's the one thing I will give him as a director is that he can get good performances out of actors. So the boy, the man is back, Brendan Fraser. The boy, and which I, um, I, I think is the perfect moment to bring in that I kind of feel in agreement with you in this that... Um, I seen him. He has one of the cutest smiles I've seen in a long time. He's <laughs> worth gushing over in terms of obviously we've, if you're again a film nerd, have read into some of the difficulties he's had. But we also need to act like I did see that he's made at least three movies since the time that people act like he hasn't. Um, Oops, sorry about that. So I think maybe it might be. I think it was an interesting point that you brought up that had Brendan Fraser been in the limelight as much as he is right now, that why are we acting like these are the type of movies that people were make, asking him to make and maybe these weren't the movies that he was also interested in making. Am I the only one who forgets that he was in, you know, Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, Monkey Bone, uh, Bedazzled, Looney Tunes back in action, Al one of Alvaro's favorite 
childhood movies. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Am I George the only of the one Jungle? Who, yeah, George of the Jungle. Am I the only one who remembers that he was just a, a really handsome, charismatic actor carrying a ton of shit movies? Yeah. And uh, the only one being great is really the first Mummy, or I don't know. Maybe people like the second one. I know. The first one is one of my, you know. That Indiana Jones ripoff is the best Indiana Jones ripoff I've ever seen. Brendan Fraser could have probably played a young, yeah. <laughs> a redone Harrison Ford Indiana Jones if they had chosen to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I get they love a you know you got to write the good story right. It's he's oh man he's been uh, subjugated and he's been an outsider which he has yeah yeah but he not has. in terms of acting it's you know it's like a whole Me Too type of thing you know I believe that he was uh, assaulted by like mm-hmm. a high ranking. A person within the Emmys, a man, and, you know, he spoke on it, and it was in a time when people were not speaking on these things, and they kind of blacklisted him, and he had been, he's basically been, you know... We love an indie movie on this show, but, you know, we're he talking, like, straight it. to direct <laughs> to Amazon. Never heard of it. Maybe Never like promoted. people have seen it, you know? Like, we were looking on uh, on Netflix. There's one called The Poison Rose. It's John Travolta, Morgan Freeman, and uh, Brendan Fraser. And My God. I, I got to see how many people have logged this on. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm pretty sure no one has seen it. But he's also been... He's in the DC TV universe. He is in... Um, what the hell is it called? The the show with Cyborg, and it has uh, oh, the, Diana Guerrero, Diane Guerrero, the the girl who was in Encanto, and uh, a DC show. Yeah, it's a D- it's uh, new- Doom Patrol. That's what it is. Brendan Fraser is in Doom Patrol, but he's not a face character. I believe he plays a character that is a a robot, like a robotic man or something like that. I didn't know that. So, I also, you know. also we know that. Uh, our beloved grandpa Martin Scorsese did bring him on for Killers of the Flower Moon. Let's go. So I know, which is <laughs> I'm hoping this year, since this is the first episode of the year, I'm trying to bring in, you know, I need a trailer this year at least or something. But um so it's interesting to see that um maybe the whale seems to be one of the first roles that seems to be a little bit more elevated for him, but then to also see that maybe he'll be in the killings of a flower moon. The killers, um, of, the flower. The killers of a flower moon yeah. is maybe um the older he's gotten or what he's gone through maybe has made him see life in a different way and he kind of tackles his subject matter in a different way. You know, I don't know if you saw this movie, but you know how Steven Soderbergh cranks out a movie on HBO Max once a year? Yeah. Oh, see, he's in that. He was in No Sudden Move. Yeah, that's the movie. It was a smaller role, but, I mean, there's a ton of smaller roles in that movie. It's not like he was the only one, but he was in that and he was was really good in that too. I heard, yeah, exactly. Um, So... It is nice for him to have his moment. Um, this Soderberg. is probably the moment yeah, that, you know, feels like long awaited, you know, like another one that I thought of was, uh, is it not Con Air, Airheads, the one with Adam Sandler and yeah. Steve Buscemi, you know, like for him to finally kind of have his matured, I'm a real actor moment. Like Adam Sandler? Well, yeah, like, well Adam, Adam had his a while ago. Multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> but he's finally got his first, like Adam Sandler was given. Yeah. His, his Simon Rex moment, right? Yeah. Uh, Although that does seem like massive disrespect to Brendan Fraser because he was a, a, he <laughs> yeah, was a star no. of, a, of a franchise and he has a ride at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking exactly like Simon Rex, but I'm just saying we were talking about a a movie star who wasn't exactly there for his like. I told you off mic. It's like people are acting like we've missed like an Al Pacino like career. You know, like we were robbed of the next De Niro. <laughs> like we we really weren't. We yeah. Like, but I do I do like Brendan Fraser in the era where. 
me and you came from um, someone like Brendan Fraser could exist and make a lot of millions, and it was okay that he was never in anything actually that was truly good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that used to be that was, those that were was the good okay. times that we lived in. <laughs> yeah. You know, like oh man, this guy could this really handsome, charismatic man could make this decent movie, and people were like, yeah, five hundred billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, pro- no, probably not. I mean, back then, a, a good a good amount would be like two hundred. You know, I mean, I. <laughs> There's just a bunch of actors like that before, and it was they were just in a lot of movies that were. They used they're, to be called movie stars because mm-hmm. they uh, were movies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he he gives a a great performance, but honestly, for 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 being a a comeback, I do think he might have deserved a little better than this, just because of the uh, not because he did a bad job or that it's a bad movie. It's just a, to to have this warm comeback and then this reception once it actually releases probably is not doing much in terms of uh lightening the mood <laughs> you know hey, like yeah. wow i get this great performance and they're like let me tell you why this movie fucking sucks <laughs> it, which is that's why i think it's interesting like you said because um it seems when you the interviews he has and it seems like from the people that he's around he's gotten praised for extremely humble about the whole thing too yeah you know? Which has been really nice to see, you know, maybe, maybe some people are gonna say, man, it's a little melodramatic that he cries literally every single time he's being talked about now or he's being interviewed, but he's appreciative. Yeah, dude, he's appreciative. You know, most people don't even get first chances. So to have a second chance is, uh, I think the fact that we know we're sitting here talking about that he was in other movies and movies that were just, you know, straight to VOD to then later being at Venice Film Festival and you know, being with um, someone like Sadie Sink, who is somebody who's coming up to be able to sit at the same um, film with them and then kind of really show off your acting prowess. This movie is maybe, like I said, Darren Aronofsky not, might not be for you, but Darren Aronofsky used his pool, what he does have, to put him in a situation or in a film that he wasn't really being, see- I, what doesn't seem like he was being invited to. Yeah. Um, since you brought up Sadie Sink, I think she gives a great performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, she plays a typical I hate the world teenager, but I think she does that fantastically. I, that's what she does in Stranger Things yeah. as well. And she's, you know, fresh off season four of Stranger Things where she was essentially the main character. Um, mm-hmm. And now to have, you know, this this performance, she uh, did this Fear kind Street. of praise. Oh, yeah, she's in Fear she's, Street, she's too. Kind of- huh. I forget those exist. No, yeah, of course. But I'm just saying I thought I remembered that she also, she's very good at playing her character, but usually I would get tired of it. But I do think. Um, she's an archetype. It, yeah. I mean, she's, she's only like 20, 21 years that's, old. That's she has thing. plenty of time it, to become like a well-balanced, wonderful actor with a lot of range. Did you know you the know? Um, scenes where she's small as her sister? <laughs> what the fuck? No. <laughs> yeah. So it, like, like the uh, there's only a, like, like one, two, three. like two scenes. Yeah, where there's a small Sadie sink, but and it's they're her moments. They're not really scenes. Yeah, they are moments. They're they're uh, memories. Yeah, flashbacks. But yeah, I mean, I think that she is a uh, surely on her way to becoming a household name, at least in the film world. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to walk down the street. Who's Sadie Sink? You know what I mean. <laughs> But uh, I I do think it's uh, interesting to just be brought up that cast of the Stranger Things because it seems like she might be the only one that kind of sticks around for movies. Like, we'll be in an A24 movie, you know? I Um, mean, Finn, like... Finn Wolfhard, he was just recently in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. mm -hmm. I'm trying to think if he's been in an A24 movie. It seems like he might be, right? 
he he's ripe for it if it hasn't yeah. happened it's going to yeah. <laughs> yeah and i do think uh, you know millie bobby brown i think is probably too famous to yeah be. she's interesting she's a, she's a star mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's beyond just whether she's talented or she's not. in bad movies guys come on it's well okay. I, don't, I don't even know what what is she even in she's in enola holmes right and she's godzilla. in godzilla which sick <laughs> you know i'm sure we'll get to talk about the monster verse eventually um but she's she's beyond, you know. She's yeah. like she's in Brendan Fraser territory. <laughs> yeah, she is. Where Sadie Sink is probably the only one of these actors who's really going to become like a, uh, you know, she, she's going to take the Robert Pattinson path in life as opposed to the, <laughs> yeah, I, I you agree know, someone else. Or yeah, I could see her being a Kristen Stewart. You know, because it's because well maybe this season on Stranger Things, the last one that happened, she was forefronted. It's kind of a lead. But before that, she did seem as somebody that was just um, introduced to be a complimentary character. But since she stood out so much. She was a scene stealer. Like, mm-hmm. I don't imagine that the Duffer brothers, when they were writing Stranger Things, they assumed that Eleven was no longer going to be the main character. Mm-hmm. It was going to be about a regular kid. Yeah. Who ended up having the more the most interesting story out of all of them, I guess. But I do think it's the fact that she is a great a- uh, actress. And just excited to see what she does in the future. So I've been wanting to ask you this. Does Hong Chow steal this movie? Does she have the best performance? Ooh, you know, Hong Chow is probably the character here who's lost the most, and I feel it. Um, I think maybe there's a little bias here after watching her in the menu and also thinking she does a really good job there. But the fact that she's very versed and hitting this emotional tone, and um, I don't know, there's just some scenes in this film where she's just simply talking where it feels like she truly is speaking from the soul. And um, I can't even really, I'm not even about to act like I had seen her before the menu. So I, I do think um, she's a powerhouse in this. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough question. I think, um, I, th- I think it's tight. I think I'll still go with Brendan Fraser here. But whew, she, I, I think uh, I kind of, walked out of the film with you when we watched it and be like those tears dude they're like drawn yeah i mean honestly i think she's the real winner in this whole thing i think she's the one who's going to come out the most unscathed <laughs> you know because oh her yeah character uh you know brendan fraser like we, the stuff we were just talking about you know to have this wonderful comeback to have his moment in the light be kind of spoiled by the critics of the world <laughs> that kind of sucks right sadie sink i could see why her character you might absolutely hate her guts and think she's pure evil but I, that is not the that is not the intention that i got from her or concluding but hong chow i think she's the she's the winner here um her performance is uh the character liz uh is one of the better ones i've seen all year and i do think that the dialogue and the moments that she has while they are extremely melodramatic and this is the stuff i'm talking about talking about being oscar baby i think because she's so good she handles it with grace and dignity and brings a real sense of balance to the movie that would be would not be there if it was somebody else on my second viewing with you a scene that hit me a little bit more is when she, she is explaining to i think it's it's ty sims yeah thomas was just played by ty simpkins the little boy from iron man 3 dude and the nice guys you know the little wow. boy in the beginning no, of the no. nice guys that's no. him wow no because that sounds like i didn't know him from anything else but that's what kind of we talked about we don't expect much room because how are you supposed to operate to this level and that's not a detriment to him it's no, maybe no. he'll get there yeah. who's to take that from him but um that the scene that Hong Chow shares with him where she kind of explains 
her life and everything, her pain and kind of with the situation with Charlie is so powerful, but also lays everything that you might say um, you don't know at this point in the film. Like, um, what is all this stuff they keep talking about? What is all these things that make him so sad? I think in the scene that's so powerful um, and well, and just well acted, I think there's just moments of silence there that feel so real. And um, on the second viewing there, I just kind of really felt like we were talking about where just really powerful acting, honestly. Honestly, if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't her and she didn't bring that like dignity to the scene that I was talking about, this would just be like a an exposition dump, um, melodrama, Oscar bait. But she elevates it to a level that it probably has no right to even get to. Honestly, um, I definitely think that she saves this movie from being a disaster. Um, so yeah, Hong Chao, real winner here, and I do think that uh, she's well on her way too to becoming a a big name in the film world. I do want to say that as always. Um, this deep into the episode, I think we should read the synopsis. <laughs> um, which is, uh, I have it right here. Uh, go ahead. Which is, yeah, a reclusive English teacher suffering from severe obesity attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance at redemption. Um, that is something that I think a premise that I didn't read before I went into the movie. I did tell you that I had seen this trailer. The trailer doesn't give much out. The trailer is just the scene where brendan fraser's people are incapable of not caring people are amazing and then it just kind of cuts into his flashback to where they're in the ocean um i didn't know what to take from that obviously just watching the trailer but um after reading kind of the synopsis it's like for one last chance at redemption um i think is something that you don't really understand up until you kind of see his reactions to certain things and where he's at mentally um I think that's where a lot of the controversy comes. I had kind of read another maybe more explained excerpt where it kind of shows that he is 600 pounds, which is... Um, when I heard of the movie, that's how they were selling it. Yeah. He plays a 600-pound recluse. Mm-hmm. I think it, maybe it got taken out of the synopsis here. So I, could, I remember that being obviously a big point. Um, and I think that is something where the controversy comes in. Um, we do see a man of 600 pounds here, which... Um, is uncomfortable, and I don't think that's a hot statement. I think that's kind of the point of the film, and I think that even our character here, Brendan Fraser, understands that. What are the reasons why he's chosen to do this? Seems to be a lot of pain. Seems to be a lot of regret. Um, we kind of talked about outside of the movie, you're, you're a father with a daughter, and um, there's certain things that you could consider as you don't do you know, after you care for a certain person. And I think Brendan Fraser's character here, like we had talked about in several other episodes, um, is a person and kind of has these things um, that are bugging him or maybe has an, his identity kind of not really acting as himself or it kind of feels limited. But his actions have obviously caused a very terrible outcome. He's crossed one too many lines. <laughs> and um, it also seems which is really weird here that, that um, these things were also taken away from him. And that's made him really reflect in terms of why maybe he didn't deserve the happy ending. And I think that's either another theme that um, the religion part of this stuff here doesn't really tackle too hard, but I think it um, overlays here. And um, I was just kind of, kind of get at that. I, I could see where there's a, con- a lot of controversy on there. Um, 
the way the man is portrayed kind of when we were watching it you're like he that those are the parts that people were laughing in the audience like there's no at points it seems there's no dignity here for brendan fraser's character yeah yeah but there are things that are so obscene oh that feels bad to say but i mean let's just talk about one moment for instance there's a part where he's extremely upset and he orders a pizza right he's shoving it in his mouth he uh he double deckers the pizza a slice of ham he like dips jelly on it and you know just shoves it in his face and pukes and it's like i don't know what other way darren Ofs- darren aronofsky thought people would take that other than it being like obscene and like I guess maybe cruel, you know, to show to to show this like intimate fucked up moment in somebody's life. But what other way is he supposed to portray that? You know? Yeah, it's this to me. It's like it's a moment of self destruction. There's a lot of other movies that you might see. Uh, someone goes in and just to be another similar topic that's maybe a little, you know, sensitive as well. It's like people who they um, self harm and they might go and you go to a scene and somebody might be cutting themselves and it's very emotional, but there's the same thing trying to be pulled here from when Charlie decides to eat in that scene specifically tried to eat himself to death. He's trying to accelerate what's going on. He knows what's happening and he's trying to accelerate that. Why? Cause he himself is disgusted of himself at this point. And um, to me being it, that being so disgusting, like you said, is that's the intent that I get from it. But to kind of see an audience kind of take it as and, and not like not us but like you said the general audience kind of take it as a moment of whoa, whoa, whoa other people not me yeah. <laughs> no it's like a, it, it, yeah there's it's just because we sat there and we did see we did have an audience more than we usually would for this movie so it was it was an it's a nice thing to kind of just see where people stand on certain things and to kind of see like a comedic reply to that not that there should be any intended like you should act like this towards this because no it whatever is natural i think that's what a movie does sorry yeah i think um i think it kind of reflects on like you said that's where somebody might have issues with you didn't do a good job with this but i do think that um i did understand the those moments what he wanted to well i'm gonna say that the author wanted to get at here and um they are it's perverse jerry you know <laughs> but i this think film, that's that's it's perverse it, it's the point like i i do think that um people people seem to be a little Uh-oh. sensitive to the aspect that um it's not aware of that and you're being arrested for your thoughts like, oh, do you have no. any last things to say <laughs> um because i just gonna add, towards the end there's a scene where brendan fraser's character kind of talks about how he's disgusted with himself and i think that that's something that kind of maybe gets a little overlooked because he just kind of lays it out all the things that we think about the kind of physical body that he has um and i i think that's where the movie kind of ties in with myself that i think that the character isn't necessarily like he's disgusted of himself so why shouldn't you be but i think that's (laughs) you know and but i don't think that that's a reason to dehumanize this person but i do think this is a point that maybe you could comment on more and then that made me really think after I saw it with you was the fact that he's not discussing because he's like this. He's no, discussing he for his many prior other things yeah. that are, like his selfishness or the fact that what this is turning into is still a reflection of his selfishness. Yeah. So 
I want to I want to talk about this movie not in terms of plot and not moment by moment, but really through the characters because I think that's the best way to convey everything that's happening in this movie without um, going detail by detail. Yeah. So I kind of I got you know I got my notes here. So Brendan Fraser's Charlie, like we said, right? A reclusive English teacher who weighs six hundred pounds. He's uh, confined to his apartment and he's taken care of by his only friend and nurse, who is uh, who. Who is named Liz, which is Hong Chao's character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's connected to him from his previous life, and uh, at this point, where we, uh, you know, enter the story, he's just been diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and he only has one week left to live, and uh, he wants to spend that week by reconciling with the daughter that he abandoned when she was eight years old, um, to make what. Uh, is considered a selfish decision as I mean, as a parent, this is an extremely selfish decision, but as a person it's following your heart. Right. So he, uh, he, uh, leaves his family to be with uh, a man that he's fallen in love with. And, uh, that man who eventually, you know, uh, loses his life, uh, due to, uh, suicide from, being exiled from his uh, community background. and his his religion and his his uh, his family, mm-hmm. um, and Which is this Hong. has been the uh, yeah. So we'll, I'll get yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, this is the uh, driving force that has brought in Brendan Fraser to this like breaking point. You know, um, what's going on here? Oh, okay. Um, so that you know that's the groundwork that we're given here, and. Uh, Kind of the point you had made about the him being disgusting is not because of his appearance; it's because of his actions. Uh, we talked about this last week with After Sun, and uh, you know, abandoning your family is just a—it's it's a no-no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like once you've done that, can you be a? Uh, can you can you be reconciled? Like from for me, you know, as a just just as a person, no. Like this for me is an unredeemable quality. You know. Um, I know you brought up the Fablemans. You're like, and that's okay. You know, no, it wasn't, you know, but I just thought it was handled in a <laughs> Steven Spielberg, believe it or not, is a much better director than Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> so it's handled in a way that is more understandable to me, you know, um, or at least it's because we see more, we see more of the story, you know, more of the whole life, uh, you know, it, 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 it opens itself up more to discussion versus just being presented at <laughs> this point. Hey, he abandoned his daughter. Now it's the argument though, to bracket in your favor is that also the Fablemans is a real story and this is not. And the way that this ends <laughs> is obviously because it's not a real story. And the, <laughs> and the Fablemans kind of, getting we, the Fablemans. we, we can't um, stop talking about it. We, um, we know that Steven Spielberg became successful. You know, it's not like Sadie. We don't know and what Sadie Sink. Yeah, and then we don't know. We don't know what Sadie Sink's character has done yet. But She's probably killed herself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's also another thing why uh, it, it it obviously delivers differently. But uh, not to cut you off from what you were saying, but I I do I do see that that is a thing that I think that also Charlie ends up agreeing would agree with you at the end of the day that what he did is irredeemable, irredeemable. Sorry. And that uh, maybe that is also why um, the religious connotations, we kind of says that he read into all the what new life is the name of the church here. You know, did you did I bring it up in the car because I meant to on the ride home is that there was a new life church like 
five minutes away from the movie theater we saw this at. Yeah, you did. You did. Which I was like, I have not looked into if it's the same thing, but you know, if it is, I want to go knock on their door and go, "Hey, I just saw the whale, man. That's fucked up." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you know, speaking of Sadie Sink, um, let's get into her character. Uh, Sadie Sink is Ellie. She's Mm -hmm. Charlie's seventeen-year-old daughter. She's uh, on the brink of flunking out of high school, but she is probably the smartest person at her high school. Um, she never forgets anything, and she walks. She finally walks that line between being the meanest person you've ever met or a misunderstood but loving helper, you know? And that is um, another point which I think kind of has to do with the heavy-handedness, he- heavy-handedness of this movie is that you don't get to make that decision for yourself. Brendan Fraser just tells you, oh, she's a good person. Oh, my God, she's a good person. Yeah, yeah that's know? true. So that is one of those things where it's like, stop telling me how I'm supposed to feel. Aren't I supposed to decide as I watch this movie? Um, but, you know, she's that typical I-hate-the-world teenager, but she also has every right to be. You know, when you've been abandoned uh, from your parent, you know, from a young age, what do you uh, what do you expect is going to happen, you know, they're going to have some resentment towards the parent and the world, you know, and the parent who was around still to, uh, you know, raise them. I think that is interesting. Um, just kind of wanted to comment back on that seems to be the issue with a lot of other people in this movie. Um, besides Brendan Fraser is Sadie Sink's character because they're like just an annoying teenager, an angst teenager, right? Like the definition of an angst teenager. But I think, um, it only also looks elevated, one, because it's very well done, but two, because Charlie's character is so the opposite because he's trying to overcompensate because he kind of knows that he deserves to be treated this way. But he also kind of still wants to not kind of the same way in After Sun doesn't want her to turn into this person that she could kind of be. Uh, maybe there's some hints that she could be. He does want to be her kind of last awakening to be like, you're not this person. Um you you're tremendous you have a you're really smart you know and i think that's how a lot of dads a lot of loving dads would approach the uh, situation but what kind of makes it weird here is that we know he made like i said a big a big no-no so it it almost um really makes her being that angst teenager that she is seem like it's more offensive up until you i don't know i, I it doesn't take it didn't take a lot for me to be like i understand her side because you're kind of given really fast into obviously he left her family you know but um i do think some people kind of wanted to act like this character doesn't exist in real life and i've been a teenager at this age i had friends that were like this and they weren't even in situations like this it was just that they were that angsty so <laughs> i did think that was a take that i would i found you very throw interesting. in a valid reason why <laughs> yeah. can you really be like why are you so filled with angst yeah you know? like as a teenager really because uh, i fucking hate my dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and and i think uh something that we kind of get here is that um the relationship the sadie sings character has with her mom which is i think played by which mary is her name right played hey, by do you have her actual name samantha morton I got to say, she gave the most stage actor performance of the movie. She, like, borderline had, like, a boardwalk empire accent, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I did not really enjoy her too much, but I also thought that, yeah, she's just not operating on the same level as the other. Correct. Three heavy hitters. Not that it was bad, but it just felt the most kind of melodramatic and out of place of the of all the performances i I think because there's supposed to be so much weight already to the character um what i was going to say sadie sinks doesn't seem to have a good relationship with her mother um seems to maybe a lot of the resentment 
that she might hold towards her father since he's not there has been just a reflected <laughs> back to her mother. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair. Bringing up the Fablemans again, right? Be like, kind of how Sammy was like, I don't really hate my, my I don't really hate my mom. You know, I, I guess I understand, but you, you cocked pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Man, get your wife back. Huh? Uh, <laughs> I I just kind of felt, uh, you know, I, the, I I can't help but bring up the Fablemans again too because of like how Steven Spielberg himself was portrayed in the film. You know, they were like, this teenager doesn't exist. Be like, but then you have the polar opposite, which is the Sadie Sink, and then they're like this teenager doesn't exist either. And I'm like, I hate to break it to you, man. There's all types of different people. You know, there's yeah. a there's not a bunch of just people who are right in the middle who are gray about everything. Be like, uh, believe it or not, most people are not like that. <laughs> the angst teen is probably a stereotype, but as they say, um, it, it not a stereotype. That's the wrong word. It's not negative. It's 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 a it's a life trope, but it's for a reason. Like it's expected of people. Um, it, it, there is enough of that person or representation of that type of person in teens for that to be. Why are we all pretending like we weren't angsty teenagers yeah. about everything? Like everybody was angst, but it was at the different levels, correct? And I kind of feel like if you were in this situation, doesn't it kind of, and she's a smart girl. So don't you think that that's probably why she feels this way? High school is only for idiots. Yeah. Mm. And True. how many? Um, <laughs> 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 but. Again, uh, she I I enjoyed her performance very much. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to talk about Hong Chow now. Um, you know, Liz, Charlie's only friend and nurse. She's very protective over Charlie, but also resents him deeply for the sadness he's caused her in these uh you know last moments of his life. Um, she is extremely protective over him as well because mm-hmm. a uh, early in the film Charlie is suffering a medical emergency, which you think might be a heart attack. From uh, masturbating to porn, <laughs> yeah. that it had induced this uh, attack, I guess. Yeah, um, and this kind of threw me off. I guess he maybe because he you know can't really move around or whatever that there's just a key out there because he you know there's a knock on the door and he's like just just open it, open it, help me, right? And it's this uh, this missionary, this young man named Thomas that uh, really doesn't understand what he's just just stumbled upon, right? Yeah, and um, shortly after. He uh, helps Charlie, uh, you know, Liz shows up, and I th- that's, I believe, her first scene in the movie, right? Yeah. And uh, immediately is very hostile towards this, uh, towards this, towards this young man, right? And uh, just very, like, get the fuck out of here. Thanks for your help when nobody needs you. You know, don't come around here again. And uh, we did talk about it kind of earlier when we were mentioning Charlie's character, but uh, she is... The brother of the um, of Charlie's partner, right? So she is she has that connection to Charlie's past. She remembers him when he was, uh, you know, was able to live a normal life, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't assassinate me for that. Um, so she has, you know, un out of Charlie's control. He has caused her an extreme amount of pain in her lifetime. Uh, <laughs> if he would he would technically be the villain of her life. I would say. I will obviously. say that that I think the part that maybe what resonates for Hong Chao's character, like you said, her being the one that suffers the most here, is that um, Charlie being this whole issue with his weight and how she's had to care for him because she knows that he's the only thing that her brother truly loved before he like you know died um, is in his control. And when she finds out that it, it is in his control. 
it really takes her out. There's many things he put her through that he absolutely did not have to put her through. Yeah. And, and I think it's just that selfishness that we're talking yeah. about. And she is one of the, 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 the two victims Don't that he really that. put through a lot. I, well, obviously his, his former wife as well, but Sadie Sink and Hong Chow have really been put through the ringer by this man who, you know, I get it. Your partner died. You have this, this weight problem. You have this, this sorrow and this regret and this, um, you know, you feel like your life was a waste, but <laughs> hate to break it to you. Be like, that doesn't mean you get to just treat people like shit or fucking, oh, now that I'm dying, all of a sudden I want to reconnect with my daughter. Like, eat. I don't know, man. If this was me and I was a teenager and my parent was like, hey, I know I haven't talked to you in nine years, but by the way, I'm dying. Can you be my friend? I'd feel very manipulated. And I would feel like Hong Chow's character also feels like she has been somewhat manipulated for many years to feel worse for this person than she even had to you know like it's like you said so much of this stuff that he pretended was was out of his control um he he probably could have had the uh the uh positive my 600 pound life story of getting his life back on track but he has uh you know he has admitted defeat in his own life and just you know watching that self-destruction is uh you know, self-destruction is, is a selfish thing when there's other people around you who love you, you know, like, yeah. and whether, you know, that's his choice or not, and everybody's entitled to their own choice, you know, you can't help how the other people around you feel, you know, and she is the, yeah, like I said, the, the main victim of Charlie's <laughs> life choices, I guess. No, yeah, it all comes down to selfishness, and I think uh, even... A driving point of the movie is like people are incapable of not caring. I think it's kind of reflected at the end, like you said, uh, Sadie Sink's characters. That's why she is this teenage angst because she does feel like, what do you want? Well, you think you could just show up after all this long time? I think you're disgusting, even if you would didn't look like this. But at the end, to see like her, like daddy, you know, asking her, like, not don't die, but then well, of course um, she doesn't want a fucking dad. Yeah, to because die. at the end, and then it's that, it's that. She is a good. She is a. She is a good person. If she was truly the evil person that the mother made her out to be, she'd be. Like, see ya. Dying, you fat piece. Of yeah, shit. exactly. Like, or <laughs> even how she, um, maybe tried to see herself out as a teenage angst with like, which is funny. A lot of the Facebook posts, right? Oh God, yeah. Um, but if Inspired that was touch, Aronofsky, if that was the person that she really was at that moment. I think critical to the story, um, she wouldn't react it the way that she is because in in all reality. He doesn't deserve um, any type of love for the selfish acts that he's made. And even Hong Chao, after finding out that he is very selfish, um, comes back also, knowing that what he's going to go through and this might be the last time to see him, she also still comes back. And he also is kind of, um, it's really weird. She feeds, <laughs> this is going to sound really bad, but she feeds the beast. <laughs> and, and oh, because she, she does, like we see scenes where he just, eats a whole bucket of chicken and it's he's dying and she's like i brought you i brought you two chopped cheese you know what i mean they were meatball subs. oh yeah meatball subs and it's like extra cheese yeah and i understand that maybe it's at one point you know that charlie or your best friend is still gonna do something um and you try to be there for them as weird as as you can but that's some of the part where i guess she's defeated to the aspect to know that um he's gonna do it some other way or I don't know, because I mean, we we see a lot of like he gets delivered pizzas every day. 
um, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> that was one of the crueler moments in the movie, right? This yeah. guy's like, whoa, i never seen a fat person before. I'm like, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the, oh, man. But um, it is just very interesting to see everybody in this film. I, I would say maybe besides his ex-wife, it's also maybe... Maybe it's like a very selfish as well because um, she obviously, for what had happened between them, kept um, the daughter from him. But in the reality, too, she could have, for her to not be like her image of a mother to be bad, she also didn't let him into issues. And he might have, he had the intention to want to correct his wrong. And I think that's where some of the, I guess that's like a family dynamic where it's like has he his his decision to do what he did has drastically affected who this person is going to become and opposed to like how we felt about after son um it seems like here like there is no like what like what you did is already very a lot more irredeemable it's not like um Sadie Sink's character was born to maybe be depressed like an after son how we spoke about this is almost all inflicted by a very selfish decision by Charlie. And to try to correct that wrong, um, just what I'm trying to get at is that it is just such a heavy thing to try to correct that it seems like um, he's, he's, he is, it's, it's easier for him to give up on it, which is really selfish. I thought one of the most telling parts of the film actually was with the with his ex-wife when he, he was like, I would have loved to be a part of her life. And she tells him, she's like, yeah, but there was a time when you didn't care. Mm -hmm. Like, and you can't pretend that you always cared. Like, even if you wanted to, you know, even though you left me for this man, um, you, you really could not have been involved in your daughter's life. Like, no, you chose to be to, you know, part, I don't think he's reclusive because he's fat. I do think that this is something that has been there forever. You know, like this is what selfish people do. He was like, I was in love. Yeah. Well, what about being in love with your fucking daughter? You know what I mean? Like you can't have your boyfriend and your daughter. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you care so much about love, why can't you love both of them? You know, yeah. like he did, he did make that selfish decision of like, no, like, you know, I'm in love and I found, I found my actual happiness. So, you know, fuck this family. Uh, catch you guys later, nerds. <laughs> you know, like he he could have had he could have uh well I guess he wouldn't have had you know the perfect life obviously because he's caused a lot of pain but I'm sure there would be a not to try to logic the movie to death you know that they could have co-parented at some point you yeah. know and uh, it's just kind of thrown in his face like don't pretend like this is what you've always cared about you know like you that's it's a it's unfair to the mother as well you know I, I think uh, another thing that his selfish decisions are what ref makes him reflect that he, him being this way has caused pain to everybody around him. We do know that Hong Chao's brother, which is his partner later, um, he feels kind of some guilt there as well because he kind of made him feel like you don't need any of that stuff. You only need me. And that's later kind of where the demise for his, his partner kind which of comes extremely from selfish as well. That he, and and I know. do think that it's kind of alluded to, um, that he kind of like either obviously seems like he killed himself, but it seems like Jumped he also a bridge. starved himself. Yeah. She's like, I would come in here and try to force him to eat. And for him to go the exact opposite is almost, um, it, I, I think it's that guilt. 
you know, and I think it's a uh, what you're talking about. It seems that maybe he only cared based off what we know in the story once his partner did die. And it made him reflect on all like why, you know, because of the religious ties, do I deserve this? You know, the religious stuff. I, it's hard for me to ever kind of get on board with it in movies because I'm not a religious person. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, not to be total fucking atheist debate lord, but I'm like, what does any of this fairy tale shit have to do with the story? Right. You know? yeah, yeah. But the, these are stories, whether they're true or not, right? That yeah, yeah. Are very reflective on human nature, and even in a in an ancient time, you know, it just some of these problems that we have are just primal problems that we've had since we've you know since we left the cave. <laughs> um. So the religious stuff for me is eh, whatever, hit or miss. I don't really care for it either way. Um. It's always, I guess it's always a good way to uh, tie your movie back to be like, actually, it's a religious allegory, you know. But um, speaking of the religion and stuff like that, because I wanted to get to Ty Simpkins, who we said plays the missionary Thomas. Um, I do think he brings another aspect of the film, which is the maybe some of the, the cruelty, I guess. Um, he's a young missionary from the New Life Church who stumbled across Charlie, after, uh, like we said, after knocking on his door and rushing to Charlie's aid as, as he's having some kind of medical emergency. Um, he He's able to help Charlie by uh, reading a passage uh, of an essay that was written about Moby Dick, which is... <laughs> this is why the movie's called The Whale, right? This is one of the reasons why, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we later find out was written by Sadie Sink, right? So yeah. that's kind of one of your cute little heartfelt moments is that this really well-written essay by his daughter that uh, was all about honesty and how she really felt and connected connected him to, to her. Um, you know, uh, Thomas, it all kind of ties together because Thomas and Sadie Sink's character, uh, Ellie... Yeah, right, Ellie. They do become a little closer as the movie progresses. But uh, the reason I really wanted to bring him up is because he keeps insisting that he can save Charlie. Um, Not him, but that God can save Charlie and that he also can't give Charlie the spiritual guidance, but he can help lead him in that direction of, uh, you know, getting salvation before he before he passes. And uh, once the you know, that that facade kind of is broken you see the you know the honesty that Brendan Fraser has been looking for this entire movie, which is like stop trying to uh, you know stop trying to sell me the bullshit and just be honest with me. And there's this I don't want to say it's powerful because it does feel this is more of that like melodramatic stuff that I felt was kind of like you know ham fisted or whatever was the uh, when he's like do you find me disgusting mm-hmm. and he he really fucking just kind of lays it out there. Like, you know, this, this well-intentioned religious young man, guess what? He's actually some fucking Midwest bumpkin who's homophobic and finds this obese person completely disgusting and, uh, all in the name of, well, God, you know? Yeah. He kind of really alludes to, there's a reason that he can, um, this body that you're in is confined and kind of looks this way due to the decisions of your like carnal pleasures of what you would have wanted with that. And, uh, you could still save yourself because your spirit doesn't look like this and your spirit can be saved and be graced into the, and then that's kind of where he just tells him like, do you think I'm like this because I like the man? Like, you know, like or that Alan deserved his life 
or Alan was his partner. Yeah. Hong Chao's Alan, brother. Yeah. That do you think that he got what he deserved because he was in love with me? And he's kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the illusion yeah. just breaks right there. Exactly. You, he he debate lorded him. The logic, the logic. Stop! You're making you're using too much logic against me. You know, and that's really where it kind of explodes. But even then, Brandon Fraser, like you said, he it's so overly compensated that he's just kind of like. I forgive you, or not that I forgive you, but it's like I understand that you think I'm disgusting. So can you just leave, please? And that's really the kind of the end of it for him. So I don't really know if I actually like that character or not, but I do think he's kind of reflective of the uh, the small stuff we see in the movie that is not really touched upon. Like Charlie doesn't show his face in his Zim classes, right? But once he does, everybody is like, "Oh God!" You know, yeah. <laughs> like the terror, the the outrage. People are filming him because they, I don't know, they can't believe they're seeing a fat person. I guess uh, even that kind of stuff is like, okay, I I get you. This is like. This is, I don't want to use the word dehumanizing. I really don't. It's like, dude, you know, such is life. People are fucked up. I don't know if you know that. Have you been outside? Yeah. Be like, this is, yeah. yeah. My audience that's laughing at this guy or the people who would record him when they see him. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Be like, the world's a fucked up place I, that where, where stuff like this happens every single day. One of the debate lord um, tactics to this movie or somebody that's like the completely hated this their whole point was like this is supposed to take place during the trump era because we see i didn't take that as any significance besides trying to kind of tell you what time it was and it was during the republican so it must have been uh 2015 i'm guessing right because uh when donald trump had been nominated it was uh ted cruz and it was the other marco rubio, marco rubio. so um but i think they were kind of saying that in terms of why are they acting like this is 19 something where somebody could be you know, he's gay and he's seen weird because of that. But I'm like, people, <laughs> that's just like, this takes place in, I believe, Iowa, Idaho, right? Idaho. Um, again, I do think people really are online or really <laughs> are on the coast and kind of be like, this is what, this is, this doesn't even make sense that this would still happen. Be like, well, you live in California, you live in New York. Like, of course you don't think of these things. But I do think um, that's something that was kind of, touched upon and I, I did just find funny because uh, kind of like you said i agree that these people exist my audience was these people so <laughs> <laughs> exactly so uh, i don't know maybe it is like maybe it's cringe to somebody but i i think it it touches i don't want to say either this is the majority of people uh the majority of people i think um know that people who are overweight are people and maybe it is seen a little different because um it's kind of seen more as an unhealthy thing, but I do think that at the end of the day, people have kind of learned that bullying someone for those decisions or you don't know what why those decisions are has never really helped anybody. Um, I wanted to talk about the the people who are kind of like losing their minds over the whole portrayal of a of this obese person mm -hmm. and kind of just the. Uh, I don't. I don't. I think this movie was always going to have its issues. Yeah. I do think that um, the subject matter or the character being a extremely obese person is kind of still untreaded waters. You know, how many movies do we really have where um, an obese person is not just the butt of a joke? Which I guess you, you could argue he is in this movie, right? But I. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think it's there in moments, but I don't think that that's entirely the point of this movie. I also don't think that it's fair to say that, um, you know, it treats 
obese people in a bad way. It's like, okay, well, this is an obese person who also has made a lot of horrible, selfish, shitty choices. And it, it, the, I feel like that and the being obese don't even have anything to do with each other. You know, if he was a, <laughs> if he was Brendan Fraser of 25 years ago who looked like George of the Jungle, I'd be like, yeah, this guy still fucking is disgusting and sucks. Yeah. You know? So. I'm not going to say that they don't have anything to do with each other because obviously all of these selfish choices have, you know, brought him to this point. But, uh, I, I don't know, man. Like what are, I don't want to be sound too mean here, but it's like our obese people are protected class. Are you not allowed to say anything or, uh, there is no bad obese people the same way that there's apparently no bad gay people or there's no bad, you know, whatever, you know, it's like people are people. There's always going to be people who do selfish things, which is like, I can't even believe I have to say that. Doesn't that seem like the most simple fucking idea to get across that yeah. you know oh you know because he's obese and sad he can't be mean be like or he can't be bad it's kind of like what we talked about in triangle of sadness these are like social constructs that we make for ourselves to make ourselves feel better you know i, I just think like for example it's almost um like charlie and this the allegory to the whale tackling something or seeing at something then not addressing the real issue um kim looking this way physically making himself look repulsive and disgusting is him embodying into the person that he is that he feels that he is of himself like you talked that's about. what they think is dehumanizing is to be like oh okay so to prove that you're a disgusting whatever person is like to be 600 pounds which is like if like we've talked about the like those my 600 pound life shows or whatever it's like those people are living happy productive lives i mean yeah they're obviously you know having health issues or whatever but they're not the they're not brendan fraser in this movie they're people with jobs who go outside who have fun so i i do see it but i'm I'm also just kind of like are you is this really worthy of this you know i get you i i don't know and then my other thing really was that the you know he appropriated fat culture man like they could have hired an obese actor which i'm sure would have its own um its own set of like obstacles that it's going to go through because like i said because this is untreaded water how many obese actors are really be given opportunities to even be in these roles you know what i mean so maybe on the stage maybe in indie movies maybe i'm just fucking ignorant and i don't know what i'm talking about but if uh i feel like if an uh if a obese actor had taken this role don't you think they would have crossed the metaphorical picket line it's like why would you do this you know what I mean? Like, uh, why would you allow them or be part of this movie that is so dehumanizing to obese people? You're an obese person. Don't you understand how this is wrong? So I kind of feel like it's a it was a lose-lose from the jump because people were never going to look at this movie for anything other than he's obese and he's 600 pounds. That's a good point. I did read that there was an attempt here to try to maybe look at actors who were bigger, but it is a health concern in terms of somebody who might be the weight that is portrayed here. 600 pounds is somebody who would have to get help to get up. Somebody who, I don't know if they could spend 12 hours on set or whatever it is. And I think that that's, at the same time, we um, had looked, I had looked into um, the whole, um, maybe some people would call it dehumanization of fat people, fat tubes being used in Hollywood for a long time. Um, not even for people that were that fat, you know, that you could get somebody like, you know, because there have been actors or people like Chris Farley, for example, that's overweight, but not un, maybe not too unhealthy to do stuff, you know. So I do think that even then those characters are being used in fat suits. Um, so that's kind of where I do agree where there is actors who are bigger that we could be. But maybe for someone who is this big, um, it is almost 
I would be very interested to see in a play how they've gone about doing this um, and plays where the whale has been done. Somebody has to be this big. Have they gotten people who are 600 pounds or have they also used a fat suit? Because this weight that we're talking about might be a weight that is literally the breaking point of human. Like you are, you're going to die because that is too much weight. Yeah. I mean, we hardly ever do this, but um, I kind of wanted to bring up a quote from a reviewer or Mm -hmm. a critic. Uh, Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair uh, wrote that the film was uh, meant to be a poignant consideration of guilt, sexuality, religion, remorse. But we really only know that because the movie shouts it at us. He also criticized Frazier's performances lost, which I I disagree with. Um, Mark Hansen of Slant Magazine felt that Aronofsky physically... that felt that Aronofsky reigns in his typically ostentatious style, but considering how uh, the camera leeringly treats Charlie as an unsightly object of pity throughout, it's difficult to deny the film's fat phobia, uh, though its mawkishness is no less oppressive. Uh, Kate Reif of Polygon wrote that if you look at the whales of fable, its moral is that it's the responsibility of the abused to love and forgive their abusers. The movie thinks it's saying, you don't understand, he's fat because he's suffering. But it ends up saying, you don't understand, we have to be cruel to fat people because we are suffering. Uh, Aronofsky and Hunter's biblical metaphor aside, fat people didn't volunteer to serve as a repository for society's rage and contempt. So, maybe, <laughs> and I, I don't really ever say this often, uh, the critics understand the source material better than the uh, the Darren Aronofsky himself. You know, I, not to, not to uh, excuse the writer, because I honestly feel like, shouldn't the writer be getting more flack than Darren Aronofsky for this entire thing? Like, yeah. Is Darren Aronofsky not somewhat being scapegoated for this whole thing? Like, it's not like this is his idea, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, he was just attached to direct this, and not to absolve him either, because... Because, like I said, I'm not really his biggest fan. So, for me, another one in my... uh, He's always been bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? Another tip in my cap that I get to be like, ha-ha, I was on the right side. I always knew Darren Aronofsky sucked. Um, But, yeah, man, I I honestly just can't believe that this film really has so much... Like, such a hold on the the movie-going audience right now. Yeah, because I think uh, even the aspect that one of the reviewers brought up there is reigning his style and his... which. I feel like he did do besides the ending. <laughs> Dude, the ending is the ending is like I, no shot. I literally looked at you and was like no fucking way, dude. I literally thought that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And usually if I can think that that's what's going to happen, I'm like this is why this movie's bad. It's because I thought of it, you know? Yeah. Um that kind of brings me to the end of this, honestly, I don't have too much more to say about the whale. I mean, we've been going an hour and a half. Jesus Christ. We've almost been going on as long as the movie. Yeah, no. Um I don't have much more to say either. I think we've kind of talked about more of um, the things that I can see that are wrong with this movie, um, but also the great performances that are here. Um, I was going to say that overall, I do think this film, I was, I, I had to, sorry, I remember what I was saying was that, like that Darren Aronofsky kind of reigned back on the style here because I do think there is some type of an attempt from him to try to, get this or tackle the source material as respectful as he could. Um, whether I, like I said, I would believe that there is some type of approval here from the author and whether her message, his message, I don't know why I keep saying her, his message. Um, everyone knows that theaters for ladies (laughs) (laughs) that he, that he, uh, wanted. I, I don't know because if he, I do feel like if he has his approval here and this is what he, 
believes his source material should be represented as. Um, I think, like you said, the gripe should be maybe with how he thinks what he like. What are you what are you thinking here that you're doing? Yeah. Like, you know, Darren Aronofsky, like maybe. He, yeah. Like you said, he is trying to handle this the best way possible, but maybe it's not something that is possible of being handled in a good way. Yeah. You know, and is that really his fault? I mean, he could have chosen to not made this movie. Why didn't he make Mother 2? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> overall, man. I can't believe we talked about a movie that is going to dive into obscurity in probably two weeks and no one will ever mention it again. But it was a hell of a fun time, honestly. I, I, I can't help but enjoy talking about movies uh, that I am mixed on more than movies I love. You know, Sometimes when it's a movie I really love, I'm like, am I really just going to gush for an hour? But uh, with a movie like this, it's just this is why I love movies, you know, even though it's a movie I don't really care for all, all that much. I did find it interesting just kind of looking right now at the end that the author is also from Idaho. He's an Idaho native. Oh, okay. That totally sums it all up. Huh? Yep. <laughs> it makes complete sense now. I guess. Um, so, yeah. Final thoughts on The Will? Uh, I would say see it. Yeah, I definitely think it's worth watching. You know, if you if you turn it off halfway, I wouldn't blame you. And if you said, oh, man, it was one of the best movies I've seen this year, I don't think I'd blame you either, you know? Because I've seen my letterboxed homies, <laughs> they've been pretty mixed between two star, uh, you know, a funny one liner and a couple other people being like, did the emotional grip this had on me, you know, and I'm just kind of like, uh, I guess so. But I definitely think it's worth checking out, man, especially if you are going to hop into the uh, the Oscar discourse for the next three months. You know, this could be a, this could be a player. I really only think it's going to be Brendan Fraser, maybe Hong Chow for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, but we'll see. And if you didn't like this movie, it's probably going to disappear anyways, and no one's going to remember it ever happened. So Yeah, there is a... It might be just be another movie to add to the Brendan Fraser movies I've never heard of for you. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are going to be like, he came back. Yeah, yeah. he was gone. Yeah. I, thought he, I thought that was on purpose. So... Uh, that wraps it up, man, for the, the first episode of 2023. Uh, can't believe we're here, man. It's gone by so fast. Right? Yeah. We started at the end of 2021, and I can't believe we're already going into uh, going into 2023. It really has fucking flown by. Um, I think next week we have talked about the possibility of, uh, you know, we've seen Babylon. We've seen White Noise. Uh, are we ever going to release this list we've talked about, our top tens? I think we're going to kind of roll them into one, dude. Do a, you know, a Babylon White Noise top uh, best of the year episode. So, you know, tune in, man. It's going to be a long one. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, what better time than now to maybe drop the longest episode ever that we've yeah. ever done? Who, who fucking knows, man? But I am uh, really excited for uh, next week. Yeah, next me too. Episode. I think... Um Hell of a year. Try to tackle those two films. Obviously, have a lot of interesting anecdotes for both. Um, but then also just talk about being able to look back on the podcast, uh, all of the stuff that we did last year, and also the stuff that we didn't get to talk to, and kind of just cover those things. I know you have a lot of movies on there that you purposely um, put on there because there weren't stuff that we even did episodes on that you did feel strongly about. Um, I know there's some th certain things that like me and you, like Moon Age Daydream, that we obviously want to gush over. Um, that we don't necessarily need reviews for, but we definitely loved a lot. So, yeah, just really excited to have those open discussions that we have. We might talk about, like, 50 movies next week. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I can't fucking wait. Uh, 
You know the drill. Like, subscribe, comment, tell your friends, tell your family, watch the movies, watch us, uh, and, you know, keep on tuning back in, man. Thank you for checking back into the Grand Cinema Hotel. Happy 2023. I love you. Bye. Bye.